Good morning, everybody. Greetings from my living room. The reason why you're watching me and I'm on live in person is because I tested yesterday positive for COVID. Feeling pretty good, uh, just a little aches, feeling like a cold, but uh, you know, in order for you guys to stay safe and all of us, uh, we're gonna try it this way and I praise God for all the tech people that make this thing happen. There's some strange times in this COVID uh, world, but uh, thank God we have technology. Uh, to fit our purposes, we hear God's word. Um, so I pray that you are doing well in worship and everybody's staying safe and healthy. So last part of my sermon series we're talking about today and the question I have for you, are you a more of a, a, a people pleaser than not? Um, I know I am. Uh, I'm more of, of going along with the crowd. Um, how about you? Are you more that way or are you more kind of individualistic, you know, kind of swimming against the current and doing your own thing? Growing up, uh, I always wanted to follow what the latest trends was, influenced by the culture. And so fun fact for me, uh, I'm a, a big Michael Jackson fan. You know, I'm Michael Jackson in the 80s, I really loved his dancing and his singing, uh, that pop uh, music legend. And so, um, if you remember, uh, I think it was one of those times when he kind of fell off the stage doing a Pepsi commercial. Uh, he was really known for wearing a white glove. Do you remember that? A white glove. Um, and when he when he passed away, it actually sold for eighty thousand dollars. Can you can you believe that? A glove, eighty thousand dollars. Don't you know that every dude in the eighties um, was really to to be cool? You wore a white glove, and so. Naturally, I wanted to be cool, I did, um, and I wore it in my prom. So you probably, hopefully, if it works, the technology works, you'll see me, yep, that was me, my junior year of uh, high school. I, I wore a white glove, and don't you know, I'm such a people pleaser that I got to be prom king uh, my senior year, wore a white glove then, and not until I, I got into my kind of mid-20s did I realize I should be more of a, a God pleaser than a crowd pleaser. It's amazing to me how easily people can be persuaded to follow a, a new fad. In recent years, you know, for men, it's mustaches and beards. They've made a comeback. And my wife, she hates facial hair, so she won't even kiss me after certain days uh, that I haven't shaved. And I know when my kids were little, they would say, Daddy, you have ants on your face. Well, Jen was recently sick with COVID too, about 10 days ago. Um, I don't think I got it from her, but but who knows? Um, and so I said, hey, honey, since we're not kissing each other anyway, I'm just gonna let my, my you know, uh, can you see it? Yeah, she hates this. And literally I'm surprised that I'm at the dining room table. I don't have shaving cream and a razor right now because right after this message, um, she's gonna t tell me you gotta, you gotta shave. I mean, there's 17 year olds that I coach that have a, can grow a fuller beard than I can. But how do you like this goatee thing, right? You probably can't even see it. But back in the 60s and the 70s, beards and mustaches were a thing. Then the 80s and 90s, they weren't. Um, maybe except for, you know, ZZ Top or Duck Dynasty. Uh, but now it's kind of back in, in vogue, wouldn't you say? The trend catches on, right, in Hollywood and the sports world. And I couldn't believe the kind of names they have for mustaches and beards, right? The handlebar mustache, pencil mustache, beards are the, the 
Gibraldi beard or something like that. So many names, but we are so strongly influenced in our culture. Our cultural influences, they're so strong, societal and familial. Um, there are studies even that support how much women are attracted to beards. The full one, just the stubble look, and everything in between, right? It, it's a fad, it's fun, it's fuzzy. Girls dig it, right? But you know what else it is? It's someone else's influence um, shaping your look and my look and, and our behaviors. I mean, you know it already, right? Someone out there started the, ben, the beard trend, of, of course. Uh, somebody else started mustache mania. Um, and we're not the author of that. But I know I didn't burst your bubble because you know this happens all the time with all kinds of things, right? People, uh, other people guide the script of our life. Many authors of our story. They tell you, right, what's fashionable to wear. They influence you into buying certain things, whether that's cell phones or automobiles. They persuade you to eat certain foods and they sway you into speaking even the latest vocabulary. They bring you up to date on, um, you know, what's cool and, and what's not. Voices from television or magazines, websites, they show you uh, how you decorate, you know, how you're supposed to decorate your home, what your body shape should look like, where you should go on vacation, what medication you should take, right? News writers, they, they tell you um, what you should do, right? How to think, what's the latest and breaking news of the day. I mean, the number of hits on YouTube, uh, you know, that determines, or on TikTok, that determines uh, what you watch next, right? Spotify, the, the songs that you um, listen to, you start humming those the rest of the day. Now, are you starting to feel a little bit more uncomfortable? I do. Uh, when I start to think about that, how much kind of uh, we've kind of... Uh, so many people saying so much into our lives that we feel controlled by them. I don't know if you ever felt that way, a sense of loss of control or vulnerability, right? Uh, especially like when you're just clicking online on your computer, right? The, oh, all of a sudden ads pop up. Oh, this is what you've, this is what you're into these days. It's crazy. Um, and really all these forces, right, that come into our lives, they really probably don't have the best uh, interest in mind for us. And so when people come to this kind of realization, um, they feel this kind of inner grief of the soul. Uh, I call it sorrow of the soul because it causes soul searching. We, real, we realize that our life isn't um, being authored by uh, the world around us, right? Um, and then when somebody brings that to our attention, whether it's preachers or, you know, some, something just in your life, you, you realize that, hey, it's not going right. And you experience this this grief, this brokenness of, the, of this world that's full of trouble. Um, I remember when I was uh, in college, um, after college, really, I came to the conclusion that how I was living, what I was pursuing, partying and alcohol and girls and fun and adventure, it wasn't really getting me anywhere and it was getting me really nowhere fast. Uh, so then my partying friends stopped hanging out with me and I stopped hanging out with them. I don't know which one it was, but my priorities shifted and they weren't the same anymore. I started to read the Bible, started going to a Bible study weekly, uh, started making commitment to just date one girl and I didn't have much in common with my old friends. Um, people in the Bible had that kind of lifestyle too and understood that. The, one of the wisest men on earth, Solomon, King Solomon, did a lot of soul searching. And in his book, the book of Ecclesiastes, which he wrote later on in life, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10, says it this way. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. 
My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And at the end of his life, this grief led him to the conclusion in, in chapter 12, uh, verse 8. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. And in the last words of his book, he says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. From the Old Testament, even to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul he writes uh, in his um, letters, especially in the book of Philippians, he understands, he describes people who live these hollow pursuits. In the book of Philippians, he says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. You see, Paul, coming from a prestigious family, he came to this harsh realization, right, that uh, even the best in life, he was best educated person. He was zealous for the law of God. He was rubbing shoulders with the most powerful people in his society. He was on a career track, really, that was going to get him somewhere, so he thought. And he writes that their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is their shame. Paul knew, really, from his personal experience um, that this wasn't the road for him. And as he became a missionary to other people, he's you see, Paul, he knew that this pride in following all the right fads and being on top puts you further and further from God, who loves us and is really the true author of our life. So grief of the soul, this soul, this worldly sorrow, it brings hopelessness and helplessness. Um, have you ever heard of somebody just dying, right? Do you think of your own mortality? We all do. We give uh, some moments of thought as, hey, what's the point to my life? Is what I'm doing like right now? Is it what I should be doing with my time on earth? I'm wondering if you ever experienced that sorrow in your soul. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's the third week of our series on regrets and realities and restoration, living with no regrets. And it's been a joy for me to give these three messages. And today we're going to talk about restoration, how God, the author of the true author of our life, can only bring that restoration. And so Paul writes about that solution to that soul grief that we've been talking about this morning. And if you go to your Bibles, Luke, uh, not Luke, if you go and, and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 to 11, we're going to hear Paul as a leader of this new group of Christians. He's bringing something up, this kind of outward sin uh, that they're living according to the world standards. And so he writes uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, listen to what he says. Even if I caused you sorrow... By my letter, I don't regret it. See, it seems like he's they, that they felt convicted of what he's pointing out. Um, he says, though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. 
See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. You see, Paul is contrasting two, um, two ideas really here, worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. So if you realize and I realize that the world's writing our story and we're just following the latest fads and we're being carried along by the majority of society and then our conscience is, is, is pricked but we shrug our shoulders and say, oh, oh well, well, Paul tells us that's worldly sorrow and it brings death. Worldly or fleeting kind of grief doesn't bring a change. Shallow grief or, or this kind of soul sorrow, it just stays kind of on the same path that eventually leads to disastrous results. So <clears throat> this kind of sorrow means like we're only sorry because it brings bad consequences, right? It's, it's a self-centered kind of sorrow over the, the consequences of sin. So if we drink too much, we're understanding that it gives hangovers, that relationships break apart, that, that it's not good for our bodies, and we're upset that it hurts us, not because we regret it, because we're hurting um, God by, by doing that. Same way, if we have sex, right, with uh, anyone we want, it leads to all kinds of stuff, sexual diseases, relationship failures, unexpected pregnancies, and we might have grief for brief moments of, you know, understanding this lifestyle brings pain, but not because the God who created sex says sexual immorality is not what's best for you. Worldly sorrow doesn't solve problems. And so Paul's explaining how godly sorrow does bring lasting solutions. That sorrow that leads to salvation really and restoration to a new way of living. When God's the author and guide for our life, it becomes a story not of meaninglessness, but of purpose and fulfillment. A story written by God with the Savior of the world as the main character is the answer to the sorrow of our soul. The answer really that saves us from regret and despair. That God gracefully restores our soul. That he gives meaning to our life even after the sin and the trouble. God restores day after day and he'll fully restore us in heaven, praise God. I want you to watch a story of a man in our church who's glad to tell you about how was he was how he was getting sucked in uh, to the world's ways and it left him empty. And he's got a great testimony of restoration. He now leads a ministry in our church uh, called Free Indeed Alcoholics for Christ. So why don't you watch this video? I had uh, graduated high school, had started college, had. Uh, uh, had a, a, what I thought was a really good relationship going and um, the girl that I was in the relationship with, everyone loved her and stuff like that, but then uh, she had got sidetracked in life and ended up into drugs and other things and, and um, I had gone for several years, probably till, from 22 to uh, 29, uh, not really dating serious or wanting to have a real serious relationship anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, in that time, I started a job, um, was golfing and bowling and hunting and fishing and everything a man would love to do the rest of their life. Um, and also the drinking was involved in all of those activities, you know. Okay. And uh, so the thing is, is what I did was I drowned in myself starting in alcohol. So the bowling, 
the parties at other people's houses uh, just escalated. Uh, I had seen a counselor with my ex-wife and I told her how my drinking had escalated. She goes, can you stop drinking for three days? And that's one of the questions um, I wasn't prepared to answer because I had crossed that sweet spot, you know. It oh, had become okay. a daily uh, addiction. I didn't drink before 5 o'clock at night, but man, when that bell rang, I was like a greyhound out of the box racing after that rabbit. I tried one day. I said, okay, tonight I'm to not quit buying anything. So I went from 5 o'clock to about 7 o'clock, and I couldn't stand it, so I ran up to the store and I got some... Beer. This is part of this them. is day one. This is of part the of challenge. the. Can you do three yeah. days without? So a three day challenge. I blew it the half, first three day. hours. Okay. So I said, okay, I'll try it again a couple days later, and I did again. And I just couldn't make it past the first day. I couldn't even make it past the first three hours. The wonders of it is, is there's another person that was uh, drinking and driving after a Christmas party at my old work, and he got nailed. And they weren't lenient. They threw him in jail for three days or a week or something, and he had to start going to AA meetings. So I went back there, and I talked to him, and I said, well, how, do, how do you stop, man? And he goes, well, you either get caught, or you start and then go to meetings, or you go to a meeting and don't get caught because it'll change your life. If you're ready to change your life, let me know. So I go and try the three-day challenge another time, and it didn't work. So I went back there and I said, man, what do I got to do? And he goes, well, you got to go to AA or something. So there was one right at the church that I was serving at on Friday nights. So I pop in there. So everyone goes around the table and they go, Hi, my name's Bill. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, I'm George. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, so there, it really hey I'm Larry. Like I'm that. an alcoholic. You know, and it's just like what you see on TV, and it gets to my turn, and I go, I'm Joe, I'm just here gathering information. Yeah, for a friend. <laughs> so, oh my. Uh, you know, not the friend, it was for me. So then the next week I go back, and I go, I'm, I'm just here checking it out. And then the third week I got there, and I go, um, you know, my name's Joe, I'm an alcoholic. And uh, life changed there because I had to admit it. So I get to the Sunday that you're referring to. That's the moment when you made a promise to God we're back to that? That weekend, uh, February 20th of 1994, I had decided that in my notebook that this is the date. I'm going to pick the date. You know, it's, that's the date I'm going to take my last drink. This is, this is what God wants me to do. I'm, I've, I've cried out to him. I said, I need help. I, I got to that night, and it was about 10 o'clock, and I said, Lord, I'm standing at this corner sink, Oak Park 900-square-foot house that I was raised in that I bought from my parents, and I'm standing there at the sink, and I said, Lord, whatever you want to do with me, I'm all yours. And I dumped the booze down. It's a big moment. Even still today, thinking back on it, Joe. It's all right. And I said, my agenda is going to be for you. And I kept my promise. And the next day I woke up. I didn't have the shakes. I didn't have the craving. 
and um, my life had changed. And I made it through that day, and the next day, and the next day. Um, it's only by God's grace. Thank you, Joe, for telling us about God's restoration in your life. He's going to be uh, in the back of the church in the lobby to answer any kind of questions after the service. Hopefully he's there, Joe. Thank you again for doing that. And Eric for uh, sharing that interview with us. The fuller interview can be seen on our YouTube channel called I'm Glad You Heard That. Um, and he'll give you more details about how we have this ministry going on almost year-round. Uh, maybe not at New Year's or, or Christmas, but year-round on Tuesday, I believe, in the evening. So please uh, say hi to Joe. Thank him uh, for being a part of that ministry in our church. Here's the truth. If the story of your life is being authored by someone other than God, then it's meaningless. It will come crumbling down at some point. It won't bring the real answer that you need. Because you and I, we need restoration, true restoration that can be only given by God through his son, Jesus Christ. Feeling badly, having worldly sorrow will only take us so far. Saying I'm sorry, it's not enough to turn our life around. Carrying that heavy burden of failures and regrets, it doesn't bring restoration or hope. We need Jesus, not only for our individual sins, but for our life direction. When God writes your story, your story, your sorrow, your emptiness, well, they become productive. Your confession of personal failure and sin result in forgiveness and second chances. Your remorse and repentance, well, they lead to new life. Your life is headed, like mine, praise God, to eternal perfect future with God. That's what God can do. It's what God has done through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, his death, and his resurrection make that certain for us. And we're sealed in our baptism by the Holy Spirit. God has written our story of salvation and restoration. So are you ready to live that out? Do you feel lost and aimless? Is the meaningless of the world dragging your soul into grief and despair? You don't have to rely on what the world scripts anymore. God's authored a new and a better story for you. You don't have to ride the merry-go-round of what the world says is true. You don't have to endure repeated cycles of regrets and meaninglessness. Life changes by faith in Jesus. Paul expressed it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, we don't live by the world's standards. We don't just move from fad to fad. Our script isn't written by those around us. We have a new story. It's God's story. It's anchored in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, built upon the God-written story of his grace. Yes, you receive God's grace. I receive God's grace. His undeserved love for you, given as a gift that changes your life now and forever. You see, living as a Christian means regret-free, certain of the 100% reality of troubles and peace and being restored. I won't be following the beard fad anymore, I don't think. I'll shave as soon as I uh, finish preaching here. Jen will be super happy of that. And yes, I might hop on some other future fad uh, that looks like it might fit me. My daughter, Kristen, said she really uh, likes it, but that's about the only her person I've heard from. Uh, my wife totally hates it. And yes, 
I will sin today and tomorrow and all the future days of my life on earth. I'll need forgiveness over and over. I'll need restoration again and again. And I'll need to be reminded that I don't have to be weighed down by my regrets. I'll need reassurance by God himself through the scripture, through other Christians, that there is true peace in my troubles. And I'll need to continually be renewed and restored. It's not a once, uh, a done, you know, one, one and done occurrence. God offers this daily as we surrender our lives to his story, submitting to him as our life author, receiving his blessings of no regrets, peace in the troubles and restoration. That's my prayer for each one of you in the room and those watching online. God bless you. I'm sorry I couldn't be with you this weekend.